I won't read the companion passages to the passage today. We've been doing that the last couple of messages. Uh, We'll be looking at Luke 4, verse 38 to 44, but there are two companion passages, all three of the synoptic writers, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, writing of this experience and experiences in the life of Christ. All three write of this. Uh, Matthew is penned in Matthew 8, 14 to 17, if you want to jot that down. Matthew 8, verses 14 to 17, Matthew rehearses what we're preaching from this morning. Then Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 34. I'm interested in Christ's ministry in Capernaum as it continues. If you found your place in Luke chapter 4, if you can and will, would you stand with us, please? Luke 4, we'll be reading beginning in verse 38 down through verse 44. Luke 4, verse 38 through 44. The Bible says, and he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. And when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases, you know what those divers diseases are, don't you? It's when we pass the offering plate and you die for nickels and dive. Die for dimes and die, die for quarters, and that's what a diver's disease is. Some of you, some of you've got that disease. And um, verse forty. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers' diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Isn't that amazing. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him. In other words, they asked him to stay. That's what that means, uh, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore am I sent, and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Thank you for standing. Christ's ministry in Capernaum continues. We'll look at our first two verses. That'll be the bulk of our message today. And we will read and offer just a few comments over the last several verses um, after the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. In our last message, you remember, and and, and we've just come out of that scene into this scene, but you remember in our last message, we looked at Christ in the synagogue at Capernaum. These events that we're looking at just now is recorded in the first year of his ministry. The year was from Passover, uh, A.D. 27, to Passover, A.D. 28. He's in his first year of ministry. He was rejected at Nazareth, and so he relocates to Capernaum. That's his home base. When he goes out to preach, he's going to leave Capernaum. He'll come back to Capernaum. As a matter of fact, the home that we find ourselves in, in verses 38 and 39 of the text, Simon Peter's home, most believe that that was his home base, that that was his home whenever he moved to Capernaum, that Simon Peter opened his door to the Messiah and that he lived under his roof. Otherwise, he had no place to lay his head. But here we are, uh, we've come from the synagogue. You remember in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now, he had been a part of a congregation at Nazareth all of his life until he revealed himself and they rejected him. So he moves to Capernaum. 
And the first Sabbath there, he does as was his habit, his custom. He goes to the synagogue where the scriptures will be read. He taught there, so he delivered a message. He delivered a man that had an unclean spirit. He would be what, or he was what we here called today demon possessed. And then Christ is magnified in Capernaum and then even beyond in the region. We pick up with this text today. This is the Sabbath. It's the same day. They've just come uh, from the synagogue. And they enter into Simon Peter's home. Uh, there'll be something that's going to happen right after service on this particular Sabbath. Later on that night, there'll be events that's going to happen. He will sleep. One of the other gospel writers lets us know he'll rise up. He'll go into a desert place. He'll pray before he sets out to go preach in the other synagogues and in the other cities. And so, but I want you to consider with me, if you will, as we pick up with this text, verses 38 and 39, and this will be the bulk of the message today, as we mentioned a moment ago. But notice with me another miracle on the Sabbath. This miracle is in the home of Simon Peter. Let's read the verses again, verses 38 and 39, where the Bible says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. There's two important ladies. One of them is mentioned. The other one is implied. Of course, there was Simon Peter's wife. We're not given her name in Scripture. We do know from the implication of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5 that she traveled with Peter in his ministry. How extensively, we don't know. It had to mean much to him for his wife to travel, be his traveling companion at times. They died only hours apart in martyrdom. She died first. He died shortly thereafter. I'll say something about that quoting a historian here in just a moment. Uh, this year, you know, some of the struggles that my wife has had physically. And when I go to a lot of the churches I go to, they are repeat meetings. In other words, I preach annually in a number of churches now. And they look for Amanda. When I come through the door, I, I really wonder sometimes. They ask me so much about Amanda. If they want me to turn around, take my bag, and come back home. But it means a lot to me for her to be whether we're here somewhere local or in another state preaching. It does my heart good for her to ride to the service with me, be in the service with me. I know she's praying for me. And then even as we leave the service, and those times for us have proven to be precious times over the years. So no, it had to be, it had to be a blessing for Simon Peter to have his wife to travel with him. Now again, how extensively she traveled with him, we don't know. But first, Corinthians 9 verse 5 says, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, as the brethren of our Lord and Cephas? Of course, Cephas, that's Peter, that's Simon, that's Simon Peter, Cephas. And so we know his wife traveled with him. According to Clement of Alexander, he recorded these words of Simon Peter about uh, the wife of Simon Peter. This is what he said. He said, she suffered martyrdom and was led away to death in the sight of her husband, whose last words were, as she's, she was taken, he saw her through an opening. And Clement wrote that his last words were overheard to be, remember the Lord. 
He knew that they were going to take his wife's life for her faith in Jesus Christ. Sometime right after that, Simon Peter, according to the same historian, was taken out and crucified upside down. Some people have tried to blame that on the Catholic Church and deny it. But there are all kinds of writers and generationally early church fathers spoke of the same event. And so we believe that Simon was crucified upside down, requesting not to be crucified, right side up like his Lord. He felt like he was not worthy to die as the Lord Jesus Christ died. Now that's a, that's a great ways off from when you first meet Simon in the Gospels. Every time I think of Simon Peter, I think of the children's song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. By the time you get to the two epistles that Simon Peter would write, he has, he has become very compassionate. He's become everything from a marriage counselor to a Sunday school teacher to a comforter for those that are suffering. He speaks of knowledge and wisdom and experience, and he speaks from all of that. And God used him in a great way. Peter's wife had to mean much to it. Her name is never given in Scripture. Most of my heroes down through the years are unnamed people, people who never get their name on a church sign or have their name included in a church bulletin somewhere, but that's not what they're looking for anyhow. They need no recognition. They just do what they do because Christ has done what Christ has done in their lives. That's just, that's just the right mindset a child of God ought to have. John the Baptist magnified that. And John 3 and verse number 30, when his disciples came to him and said, uh, said, um, said they're baptizing more than you are, more than we are. And he said, you've missed the whole thrust of my message, boys. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. As a matter of fact, when Andrew and John would leave in the day that he identified the Christ before them, John had preached to them, and they followed Jesus. And I think that's what all of our goals are in preaching and in teaching Sunday school and trying to teach children and grandbabies. Uh, we, we want them, of course, to, uh, to know Christ before they leave this walk of life. And so Peter's wife, her name's not given in Scripture. She's implied here because Peter's, uh, his mother-in-law is mentioned. She is taken sick, and uh, Jesus is going to heal her. Not only is Peter's wife's name not given in Scripture, but the mother-in-law's name is not given in Scripture either. There are a couple of obvious lessons that come from this passage. Catholicism is debunked right. Catholicism uh, contends that Simon Peter was the first pope uh, of Rome. Well, we know that not to be so. Uh, their popes and their priests are forbidden to marry, and here we learn in Scripture. Uh, Simon Peter has a wife, and so that, among all the other teachings of Catholicism, have been debunked through the years from the Word of God. Do you know that the Catholic, do you know that the priest and the Pope, they don't encourage you to read your Bible? Do you know that? And one of the reasons why is they can say whatever they want to say, and the church has final say and final authority. And the Pope can even override what's recorded in the Word of God. Now, that's dangerous. Did you know that it is said after Paul went to Thessalonica, he went to Berea? And did you know that it is said, now, those at Thessalonica, now if you want to see what a model church ought to be, you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Paul spent only three weeks with them, and yet they had a grasp of truth that is incomparable. 
in three weeks' time. And Paul would depart, but Christ did not depart. The Holy Spirit did not depart. They kept growing. But you know the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter number 17 about those in Berea. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they studied the Scriptures to see whether those things Paul taught was right and right out of Scripture. You ought to read your Bible. If you hear me say something and you've got a question about that, you go back to your Bible. The Bible is the final. It's our first authority, and it is our final authority. The Word of God is our... And you've got to make your mind up whether or not you've got the Bible with you today. Do you have the Word of God? If you've got the Word of God, you don't have to consult anybody else. Go to the well and see what God has to say on a particular matter. And it may not be specifically addressed, but it will be addressed somewhere in principle in the Word of God. But Catholicism is debunked over and again uh, in the Bible. Peter's devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in this text. He desires close fellowship with the Lord, and, uh, and he desires Christ's fellowship in his own home. What a blessing it is to go home and talk about, we talk about our grandbabies. Amanda and I talk about our grandbabies and their souls uh, most every day, nearly every day. And we, we pray for them, uh, but nearly every day we speak of them and speak of their souls. And we want them to be saved, whether they ever have much accumulated in the way of wealth. Uh, we, we don't know. That's really not our concern. I'm like my old pastor used to say, it wouldn't bother me if, if the boys dig ditches and the girls wait tables as long as they know the Lord and live for him. And we're praying, praying over their souls, had been praying for them before, long before all seven of them were born. We've been praying for them now for years. I wish you would join us in praying for them. As a matter of fact, Daryl Brindle, he and I, when we would pray over the last six or seven months together, we prayed many, many times. Uh, we would pray. He knew I had lost people in my family. I knew he had lost people. We preached to yesterday some people that had no idea what I was saying. And Miss Pat, that was, that was her desire, that, that the gospel be preached and shared in a way that could be easily understood and a seed planted yesterday. But oftentimes, as Daryl and I, as we would pray in Sunshine Nursing Home or New Albany Hospital or Oxford, back to New Albany in his home, or in Columbus, uh, we were not allowed to get in to see him when he was in Baptist East. But we'd always pray for the lost in his family and the lost in my family. And he would always say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, until he lost consciousness and couldn't pray. And yes, Lord, or amen along with me. But, uh, but Christ is desired in the home of Simon Peter. Now, Jesus and the four, that's Peter and Andrew, James and John, they've just left the synagogue on the Sabbath. They go right to Simon Peter's home, verse 38 says. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. So it's the same day that we were preaching from last week in the life of our Lord. You'll find here that a problem has developed in the home of Simon Peter. Again, verse number 38 says, And he arose out of the synagogue, that is, after the service at the synagogue, and entered into Simon's house. We don't know how long of a walk that was. What kind of fellowship he had with Peter and Andrew, James and John. But wouldn't you like to have been a fly on one of their shoulders? Wouldn't you like to have been a bird that could have kept pace and found out what he spoke to Peter about and Andrew, James and John on the way to Peter's house? And, but the Bible says in verse 38 that 
he arose out of the synagogue, entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. A problem has developed in the home of Simon Peter. Problems come in different shapes and sizes, different levels or degrees of intensity. You know that as well as I, if you've lived very long at all. It was interesting to me that uh, when I was laid up with gout that Sunday and that Wednesday and couldn't be here, of course, I was able, thankfully through technology, I was able to listen to Brother Ronnie Owen preach. And I said to him Wednesday night, we sat down and spoke uh, to one another sitting right up here. And I told him, I said, uh, I said, I know where you come from. And I said, I, I just marvel at the grace that God has worked in and working through your life. I said, you've been hurt somewhere along the way. You have felt pain. He said, I have, preacher. And he said, you have felt pain. And I said, well, without it, we'd never get to where God wants us to be. He has to put some roadblocks up and empty us of ourselves and get that haughtiness out of the way so that we can minister to people, people who are hurting. It's a blessing to listen to that preacher. I have not heard him preach for a lot of years. We learn here in verse number 38 that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. There's a description of this sickness given here. The Bible says, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. A great fever as opposed to a small fever. In other words, a major fever uh, as opposed to a minor. It's chronic. It's not some light affliction. She's sick, possibly sick, nigh unto death. She's in a very serious situation. Perhaps a calling in the family type of a situation. Very life-threatening. This probably was something that was not expected. As they left the synagogue and come into the home. And Christ brings, uh, Simon Peter brings Christ into his home, no doubt for rest, for fellowship, and for a meal. And when they get there, they find this dire situation, this trouble that is before them. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. This is something that's not necessarily exceptional for this day. It was common, the uh, malaria was common, different types of fevers and sicknesses. And when it was a great fever, there was not much they could do but moisten the brow and maybe moisten the lips. And they would gather around and try to be a comfort. If, if, the, if their loved one who was sick, they would try to be an encouragement and maybe fetch water, whatever, to try to comfort them while they were on their sick bed. But this was a very common thing that would happen in these days. I thought about several verses of Scripture I thought about the first portion of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, which says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Sometimes we think in our trials that nobody's ever been where I am, but there's been plenty of people that's been where you are. I think that's one reason why 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, teaches us that whatever we've been through, that the comfort we've been shown will, out of that comfort, reach and share it with somebody else. Because we know what pain feels like ourselves. The psalmist would write in Psalm 34, the first portion of verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Eliphaz got a few things right when speaking and trying to rebuke Job. He didn't get many things right. But he was right when he told Job in Job 5 verse 7. Yet man that is born under, yet man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job surely told it right, didn't he? When he said, man that is born of a woman is of a 
few days and full of troubles. About the time we think we've got one heartache behind us and it looks like smooth sailing, it may be that way for a while, but then another trial comes along, doesn't it? Job had it right. Life at its longest is still very brief, as Job said. And looking back over his shoulder, he could tell that there was, there was trouble after trouble after trouble. It's a part of the journey. You cannot avoid it. We live in a fallen world. We're part of Adam's fallen race, and we feel the pain of our experiences. Some of us carry with us marks that were put upon us when we were children. I guarantee you, and I wouldn't ask for anybody to share your experience, but I guarantee you, a number of us here today could talk about marks upon us that come even from our childhood. And you say, well, you're nearly 57 years of age. Well, you get over it, but you don't ever get over it, right? It becomes a part of who you are in life. It makes you and shapes you into who you are later in life. And if you know the Lord and the free pardon of sin, and he mixes his grace and mercy into your heart and your life, you realize you're not the only one that's experienced, but there are others who have experienced situations, and they may need help along the way. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 12 and 13, are some of your key verses. You've got four key verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. You might want to mark those. In chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, I'll only read verse 12 to you, where the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. I remember being diagnosed with cancer in 07, and some wondered why you, and I said, why not me? I'm part of the same race you're a part of. I may face it again. I may, I may face it again and again. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. We don't know what's waiting on us around the bend of the road. Charles Simeon, the old Anglican preacher from yesteryear in London, he was writing on this experience of Simon Peter's mother-in-law being sick with a great fever. This is what Simeon had to say. He wrote, however much we may be beloved of God, we are not to expect an exemption from troubles. Peter was one of the particular favorites of our Lord and privileged to have more intimate access to him than almost any of the apostles. Yet we find severe affliction just now in his home with his mother-in-law. And that is the case, isn't it? This is a disturbance in the home, and it is to be noted. Verse number 39 says, that the Lord Jesus rebuked the fever. Uh, He rebuked the fever. You remember last Sunday, he rebuked an unclean spirit that had possessed this man that disrupted the service. You remember that? Right here, same chapter, verse number 35. We noticed this last Sunday where the Bible says, and Jesus rebuked him. That is, he rebuked the fallen angel, the unclean spirit, the devil, the fallen devil. Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, uh, he came out of him and uh, heard him not. Then here in verse number 39, in Simon's house, he rebukes this fever. And uh, this disturbance is to be noted in the home of Simon Peter. Consider Simon Peter with me, if you will. He's just left his fishing business uh, for full-time following of Christ and discipleship and service. Now, he's going back to it. As a matter of fact, the second call of the four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, comes in the very next chapter, the back fishing. And Peter's going to be a failure this time at something he's been good at all of his life. Have you ever felt like a failure at something you you felt you were good at? 
Simon did. He felt the weight of that. And, but the Lord will help him as he helps you and as he helps me. There ought to be three cheers for Jesus today. I'm glad he helps us. He does not, the potter does not throw the clay away. In the mind of the potter, he knows what he wants out of that clay. And the miracle of it all is he had to come to where he had to come to to get us. And if you go get clay for pottery, uh, you'll have to go get it in a dark place in the earth, right? And so it is uh, how the Lord found us. You'd have thought when Simon left the fishing business, again, he's going back to it. And even after the resurrection, he'll go back to it again. That's all he knows. It's hard to unlearn what you've what you spent your life doing. And so it is with Peter. He has these tendencies. But you'd have thought when he left his ship, left his nets, you would have thought he'd been given an award, um, maybe an honorary doctorate or something like that. But it's not so. Satan seems to levy an attack on Simon Peter and on his home. It's that way with every child of God. With every greater consecration, there'll be greater trial. If you want to serve God, you serve him, but I'll promise you, you will be measured. I remember right after surrendering to preach so long ago, it's been over 31 years ago now, I remember Donald. I, I wasn't expecting it. Nobody prepared me for it. But I surrendered to preach on a Sunday night. Wouldn't make it public till Wednesday night. My pastor asked that of me. Let's hold this until Wednesday night. And, and I'm telling you, I was tried from Sunday night to Wednesday evening. I was tried on the job. I was tried in many ways. And it seemed like, seemed like there were walls put up in front of me everywhere I turned. But I knew the call of God on my life. I felt like I would do what I do every Sunday, and that's botch it up. It's about all you can get out of a redneck anyhow, isn't it? Just stutter and stammer. Trust God can get some glory out of your feeble efforts. I felt that way from the get-go. And, uh, but I'm telling you, at every turn, I've been measured through the years in many ways. Uh, oftentimes, when a preacher comes out of the gate, uh, we were talking to Brother Ronnie Wednesday evening. I told him, I said, when a preacher comes out of the gate, I expect him to be kicking at one end and butting at the other, preaching on everything that he can find. But across the years, there has to be some grace worked in his life. If you're going to minister to people, you can't preach on own cigarettes every Sunday. You understand what I'm saying? Some of us, you sit under that and be a part of that kind of stuff. Uh, you're going to have to preach on something that's going to minister to people right where they are. We're real people and we live uh, in a real world. Sometimes these young men that come to our Bible Institute, they'll come to my house and I'll have on a pair of overalls or something. And they'll look me up and down. They act like around Bible Institute. They can't touch me. They can't get near me. And then they'll fool around, come to the house. I'll give them an armload or box load of books or something. And They'll see me in a pair of overalls or something, and I'll say, what are you looking at? I'm a real fella. I live in a real world, and I'm like Doug Jones. I'm not really that dumb. It's just these clothes I have to wear make me look that way. Amen? I like to dress like a real fella, too, so if you stop by, you're going to see me under a ball cap, probably, or a big straw hat if I'm working in the yard. But uh, we're real people, friend, and we need somebody to help us with the Word of God right where we live. Can I get a witness? Consider Simon Peter. And then consider the service. They've just come out in the synagogue in Capernaum. Think about it. Jesus himself took the word of God and taught the people that day. This unclean spirit speaks up and disrupts the service. He rebukes him and casts him out of the man and out of the midst that day. And word begins to spread right there in the little city of Capernaum that saw thoroughfare and foot traffic in and out of that city. It was a trade market that was there. They're headed up. 
They're headed to the Sea of Galilee. They're selling fish and fruit and various things. And people began to talk, and then they took that word on out into regions beyond. Many times we'll have a wonderful service here on a Sunday or a Wednesday. If you're missing deliberately on a Wednesday, I just want to say something. That's some of my sweetest times is just slowing it down, taking the word of God and teaching it and seeing what's there for us. And we've had a very challenging book for a little over a year, that being the book of Job to teach. It's very challenging. I've not said much about it. There's, there are many difficult passages there. And we're nearing the end of the book, but I've enjoyed the whole journey. Even what his friends had to say, which wasn't pleasant oftentimes. And sometimes what Job's had to say has not been pleasant at times. But I've gleaned every Wednesday evening. But you know, you can leave a service where somebody's singing and God seems to interrupt. Or there's a good, uh, there's a good message. Or, or we've sat through a rich Sunday school class. We've enjoyed fellowship or speaking to some dear saint that we come to church with and they've encouraged us. And before we get home, the devil may jump right, uh, right straddle of our shoulders and get in our ear and begin to, begin to discourage us or try to do uh, something to, uh, to keep us from enjoying the blessings of God. And if the devil can't keep you from the blessings of God, dear heart, he will keep you from the joy of it all. You have a right to the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord, according to Nehemiah, is to be our strength. Paul would write about joy in the book of Philippians some 18 or 19 times. And he told us in Philippians 4, in verse number 4, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And if you can't count your blessings today, you need to find out what the, uh, what's, got the, what's got the flow of all that, what's got it all crossed up, and uh, what's preventing it in your life. If the peace of God doesn't reign in your heart today, child of God, there's something between you and the Lord. You remember we went through that series on the eagle. The eagle, oftentimes a Christian is compared to an eagle. And one of the particulars about an eagle is he's fascinated with the sun. If a hawk or a crow or anything comes between him and the sun, he'll feather him in midair. He removes that immediately. He's fascinated with the sun. And may we be fascinated with the Son of God. May we let nothing come between us and our fellowship and our sweet walk with Him. Can you say amen right there? But Satan will keep you. He'll keep you from the joy of the Lord. Pastors go through this. Church members alike go through this. You ever been through a stale time? You ever been like Simon Peter who followed the Lord on one occasion? He followed the Lord afar off. Have you, have you ever been like that? Sure you have. If you've been saved very long, you begin to get cold and distant, and something is amiss, but it's not with Christ. It will be on our end when that takes place. The Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he rebuked this, this fever is very telling. Again, he's just rebuked a, a devil, a, a, an unclean spirit from the life of a man. This word was used where he rebuked in the Lord's house. The synagogue was the gathering place. And so he rebukes this devil, this unclean spirit, at the Lord's house. And you know what the devil did there. He disrupted the service. That's what the devil would love to do around here. He'd love to mark a divide in this congregation. I took a pastorate in the late 90s that was divided, split up four ways. There'd be about 20. The, con- the sanctuary would seat about 500, but R.J. had been had been the interim there for about a year. And he said, look, said you'll have 20, maybe 25 on 
Wednesday night, he said the Ryanja crowd sits in one place and the Boonville crowd sits in one place and the Thrasher crowd sits in one place. He said it looks like it's just a big alienated stadium almost. He said it'll have a mental effect on you. And, of course, we got to see the church pull back together before we left. They were heading directions I couldn't go. But I'm glad they pulled back together and began to grow, and I think they're growing now. And I can't hold, I can't hold all against that. I'm glad they are. I'm glad they're reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord is doing the work. But if Satan could do anything, he would divide all us up. And you know usually people get crossed up in church and it has to die out. I mean, we'll tell our kids, now you get up and go apologize. But now grown folk won't do that. Aren't I right? A lot of times churches right here in Pontotoc County, it has to die out. Lindsay's granddaddy, Brother Jimmy Grubbs, I won't mention the church, but he's preaching revival. And it preached all week long. He was telling me about it. I preached some of my first revivals. I preached for her granddaddy. He was as bold as a lion. And, uh, but uh, he had preached at a church here in Pontotoc County. He was telling me about it. I was talking to him about a situation. And, and he said, let me tell you, and, and begin to describe it. He said, on Friday night, said they had a fellowship, church-wide fellowship. And said, the deacons come to him, said, Brother Jimmy, you have to sense we have problems here. And he said, what's going to help the church? And he said, either an apology or five good funerals. He said, this church isn't going anywhere anywhere, as long as men aren't willing to humble themselves and cross the aisle and shake hands. Now, why is it that way? I mean, the Lord deserves better. The church deserves better. The generation coming on deserves better. You know what I'm telling you, right? You need to look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. I'm going to tell you, division is no place... Now, now, you can get divided politically out here in this world real quick, but division has no place in the house of the Lord. And I gave you that for free. Matter of fact, I ain't even hardly got anywhere with my message today, and it's Warren Chapman's fault. He got up and said that I preach for an hour every Sunday, and if he's right, I got about 20 or 30 more minutes to go. So you blame it on him if you think I'm long-winded. I can't get out of my first point this morning. But to be divided, that's not found in Scripture, right? We're to be united. As a matter of fact, you get out of the Gospels and you enter into the Acts of the Apostles. It probably ought to have been, probably ought to have been named the Acts of the Holy Ghost, where he used the Apostles on page after page after page. And if you want to see what the theme is of the book of Acts, start in chapter number 1. Go through about the fifth chapter. When you go home this afternoon, here's an exercise for you. Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 5. Underline, highlight, or circle. Every time you come across the name Jesus, every time you turn around, the Holy Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus said he would do. He's taking of his and showing him into the world. He's bringing people unto Christ. But in the book of Acts, the key phrase is, with one accord. And it ought to be that way. Isn't it sweet and refreshing? When you go into a church and you just know you're in a place where people love you. I mean, everybody may not shake your hand. Some of you probably get aggravated at me because I don't shake everybody. I don't want to shake everybody's hand. And uh, y'all don't all always want to shake mine. I don't always want to shake yours. And uh, you needn't look at me funny about that either. But I'll shake your hand. I, maybe I'll catch you next Sunday. But you ought not have to be petted and patted on the back every time you turn around to come to the Lord's house. You ought not look like you come to church, look like you've been weaned on a dill pickle and sucking persimmon juice. You ought to come in and you ought to come through the door and say, Preacher, let's get this thing going around here. Open the Word of God and preach to me. Tell me what it says. Give me something that will change my life. 
Preach to my babies and my grandbabies. Preach the gospel to them that they might be saved today. Or somebody ought to come in and say, I've got a wayward child. Preach to them, preacher. Preach to them. Maybe the Lord will draw them back into the fold where they need to be. Hallelujah. We'll just stop the service and gather around this altar and pray for one another. Pray for our church. Pray for revival. I see all kinds. I've got, I don't know, probably, I probably have 35 books on the subject of revival. The great awakenings in our country, these these movements that our nation has seen. There's been three great movements that our country has seen. We haven't seen a we haven't seen a, a movement in this country that has affected coast affected this country coast to coast in a long, long, long time. And uh, and I, I've I've got books. It's got formulas on revival. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when God chooses to move across a broken people and send revival. It will change. It will change not only a church. It will change our families. It would change our communities. It would change cities. The Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905. Do you know those who worked? Do you know those who worked mules and some of those some of those coal mines had to retrain the mules? They'd been cussed and beat so much uh, they didn't know. They didn't know what it was like to be talked to and led. They'd been driven and they had to be retrained. They didn't know. They didn't know how to. Do you know they shut down saloons and pubs? And, and houses of ill repute in Wales. Do you know that? Do you know if a lot of times we hear of great moves of God and there's no change? One of the biggest moves I've heard in the last six, seven years, uh, I have five or six preachers that went in to preach in that church that hosted it. And, uh, and every one of them told me. They preached Bible conference there every year and said there was not one soul added to Sunday school. There was not one soul added to the church membership and said some of those people made five and six professions of faith under that tent out there. Some of them made five and six professions of faith over six weeks' time. That's not a move of God. You say what you want to say. That's as bogus and counterfeit as it can be. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We ought to seek God today. We're to seek God on behalf of our families, on behalf of our church. Don't you want a place to leave? We've got a family around him picking up son-in-laws every time they turn around. <laughs> Don't you want their grandbabies to have a place to grow up where they have a Sunday school teacher that will tell them of Jesus Christ? It's not going to come in here and report Fox News and CNN to them every Sunday. But take the truth of the word of God and help a soul. (laughs) I know you probably get tired of hearing it. There's a congregation, most of them are unseen today because they've made it and graduated to the other side. It loved me and that old gal to Christ years ago. My hair wasn't the right length. My vocabulary wasn't right. You wouldn't have wanted to hear me talk and get near me back in those days. I'd have hurt your feelings. I would have embarrassed you women. I'm telling you, God had mercy. I didn't even want to go. My neighbor helped us unload what little furniture we had. We had a sofa and a chair. We had a dining table and a couple of chairs and had a bed. That's about all we had, and towels and clothes. and That's about it. That's all we had. Tommy Hall walked up the hill and helped me out. 
<laughs> helped me unload that Saturday morning. He took his time with me, and then he said, "You know," said uh, that baby you got there, you need to, you need to raise her in church. Are you in church anywhere? And I said, "No, sir, I'm not." I don't remember how he put it together, but he said something about the nurture and admonition of the Lord made perfect sense. And I said, tell you what, I'll, I'll come Sunday. And Nikki got sick. We had taken her to Dr. Googe, and he said, don't get her out. Give her the medicine. Don't get her out until after the weekend. Amanda got up. All I had was a pair of wore-out blue jeans Shoes I worked in. I worked 10 hours a day, five days a week. I'd go in and work five and six hours on Saturday. Just trying to make ends meet. Buy an old house and pay for it. I'm going to tell you, that's all I had to wear to church. I was ashamed of it, to be honest with you. But they weren't ashamed of me. That got started in 1989. Those people so loved us. Sunday morning service, Brother Charlie would always announce, now we'll have service tonight at 6 o'clock. We want to see all of you back. They'd been so good to us, we couldn't help but go back. I'd break my neck coming in from action in the evening, try to get ready and get down there on time Wednesday evening. Second Friday night of February, 1990, I'd taken all the conviction I could stand. In my simple way, I bowed, asked the Lord to forgive me and say, He changed me. That was supposed to wear off, you know. One old boy I'd gotten in trouble with, used to run around with, fight, drink, and cuss, and dope with. Run upon him just that summer of that year. He won't know what kind of trouble I was in. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I hear they got you in church now. I'm not proud of how I lived in those days. And I said, for the first time in my life, as far as I know, nothing's wrong. I wasn't having to look over my shoulder when I went to town, expecting somebody to want to, you know, settle something. For the first time in my life, I had peace. I want to tell you something. If you claim to know Christ and you don't have peace, you are severely lacking in what he supplies to all of his people. Miss Angie, come to the piano. I'm just going to stop. I'm grateful for the grace of God. I'm grateful for what we have in our church. Let's pray. Let's guard that. And you know, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm going to stop. Let's stand.